The migrant camp at El Chaparral Plaza in Tijuana has only grown in recent weeks. People from Africa, from the Caribbean, from Central America, they've come here for their chance to apply for asylum. But they've been waiting now for a long time. Extension cords snake out from tents as people look for any information on cell phones or ways to get legal advice. People have no place to really shower here. Water is pretty scarce. And the Baja sun has only intensified in recent weeks as we head towards the middle of summer. So people have been there for four months now, and you can begin to smell the camp from a few blocks away. Hundreds of asylum seekers are waiting for the moment that the United States restores its asylum obligations along the southwest border. But the thing is, it's unclear when the United States intends to do that, or if it ever will. The whole asylum system was most recently turned on its head by the Trump administration. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. Then it stopped entirely during the pandemic. And the Biden administration, they've been slow to get it going again. On a recent visit to Central America, Vice President Kamala Harris had this message. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. It's the same message that Central Americans have heard from Obama through Trump and now the Biden administration. Do not come. If you come to our border, you will be turned back. But thousands are already here. Right here, camping in squalor just hundreds of feet away from a shopping mall on the other side of the border in San Diego. I mean, these are terrible conditions. You know, you have kids that are running around. Uh, it wasn't until recently that uh, the local government put in uh, bathrooms and showers. Um, and so it's been a struggle for them. And, and just trying to meet their very basic necessities is always a struggle. That's Pedro Rios. He's with the American Friends Service Committee. His group is one of the few still making the trip to the camp. They offer support, face masks, hygiene kits. And now his group is offering advice about how some people can safely enter the United States. It's a pathway opened, in part, by a deal struck in April between the American Civil Liberties Union and the Biden administration. A deal that stems from a lawsuit challenging something that's known as Title 42. That's a policy issued by the CDC at the beginning of the pandemic. It effectively bars anyone from crossing the southwest border in an attempt to stop the spread of COVID-19. It basically shut down the entire asylum system along the southwest border. But since taking office, the Biden administration has been under really intense pressure by immigrant groups and activists and even health officials to rescind Title 42. But in the meantime, because of that deal, a few families who have been living here 
stuck in Tijuana, they're finally getting into the United States, escaping the haphazard camp. Walter Santiago Mejia. And because of this, for the first time since the camp kind of instantaneously sprung up in February, there's some hope. The names of the lucky few, people now being allowed into the U.S., are called out by officials at the port of entry each morning at 8 a.m. and then again at 3 p.m. I'm Max Evelyn Adler. I've been covering the border in San Diego and Tijuana for the past four years and immigration in America for the past decade. During this time, the American asylum system has changed tremendously, and it's never been so disrupted or politicized. And the people's lives left hanging in the balance are the asylum seekers, people who've been mostly forced to fend for themselves as they grasp at the shredded threads of an asylum system that was never really perfect, but has never been so torn apart. Today, in a special episode of Port of Entry and KPBS Investigates, we explore the ad hoc system that's helping just a few asylum seekers along the southwest border to enter the United States and meet some of the people helping the migrants leave this dangerous and cramped migrant camp in Mexico to start their new lives in the U.S. That's all happening right after a quick break. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to kpbs.careasy.org or call 877-KPBS-CAR. Right now, over 15,000 people, men, women, and children, are waiting to enter the United States along the entire southwest border. Over 10,000 of those people are in Tijuana. That's according to the University of Texas, and even they admit that's a low estimate. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. Soon after taking office, the Biden administration announced they would allow some asylum seekers to enter the United States, but only those who had been enrolled in the Remain in Mexico program. That's a program that was started by the Trump administration more than two years ago. The Department of Homeland Security is ending a policy that allowed migrant families from Central America to be released from detention centers to await immigration proceedings in U.S. communities. This morning, Homeland Security announced asylum seekers must wait in Mexico for the duration of their immigration proceedings. The U.S. has returned more than 50,000 asylum seekers to Mexico and thousand more uh, who have been placed in these unofficial waiting lists to apply for asylum at a U.S. port of entry are also stranded in Mexico. Asylum seekers say it offers no protection since they are sent to wait out their cases in cities that even the State Department considers some of the most dangerous in the world. On that first day at El Chaparral back in February, when they started letting some asylum seekers into the United States, a lot of people were clustered around the gate that leads you into the country. 
They were gathering right across the border in Tijuana. In fact, in the very plaza that border crossers step into when they walk into Mexico from the U.S. One of those people who showed up was Marjorie Rosales. She's from Honduras. Mi nombre es Marjorie Rosales, de Honduras. Marjorie and her daughter had been living in Tijuana for over a year. They'd been fleeing violence in their home country, and they were selling ice cream on the street and going from shelter to shelter. On that first day, she pitched a tent right outside the port of entry, like right where you would need to be to enter the United States if the border was to open. She told me she wouldn't leave until she could apply for asylum. Marjorie told me that it's been tough. The first few weeks at the camp, it rained. Then, because of the rain, her clothes were wet, and the tents were freezing in the morning and at night. In the first few months of the Biden administration, the migrant camp became the symbol of the broken asylum system. At the same time, a huge uptick in the numbers of unaccompanied children crossing the border gave rise to the idea that there was a surge or a crisis President Joe Biden is facing a growing crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. New steps to address the growing crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. Fox News is on the ground inside the border city of Del Rio, Texas. This is amid the escalating crisis at our southern border. But in reality, the so-called new crisis, one some critics said was created by Biden's border policies, had begun many months before Biden took office. So many of these asylum seekers had already been in Tijuana, just waiting for their chance to cross. Asylum seekers like Brayden Lainas, also from Honduras. He'd been in Tijuana for a year already. The day I met him in March, he was walking around the camp with his young son strapped to his chest. He was holding a Biden 2020 flag that someone had given him. In an interview I did with him later, he told me the flag gave him hope. But a picture of Braden waving that flag ended up at the top of conservative websites and on front pages of news articles saying somehow that it was Biden's fault that all these people ended up here in Tijuana even though they'd been here for a year, and in many cases, way longer. The photo of Brayden Lainez and other people holding up Biden 2020 flags, that became a flashpoint for those critics who were saying the Biden administration was opening the border and creating incentives for migrants to try to cross and take advantage of less restrictive border policies. So there's a number of initiatives and policies that are underway to undo a lot of the progress that has been made over the last four years. And I think what- But that wasn't really happening. The pandemic border shutdown, Title 42, was still in effect when Biden got elected and is still in effect today. And in the first months of this year, really the only people that were legally allowed to cross the border were those who were enrolled and remain in Mexico. 
most asylum seekers like Brayden were totally out of luck until that more recent deal I told you about between the American Civil Liberties Union and the Biden administration. In April of this year, that ACLU agreement opened the door to dozens of families to enter the country along the southwest border each day. These were asylum seekers who actually were not part of Remain in Mexico, but had been in Mexico for months and even years. So, under this agreement, deciding which names get sent to the government, picking the people who get to enter the United States, that's now up to service providers on the ground in Tijuana. And qualifying for entry isn't based on your asylum claim from your home country, the country you're fleeing. Instead, it's based on how much danger you face in Mexico itself. This isn't how the asylum system is supposed to work. You know, you can imagine uh, how many uh, petitions, how many parole requests, uh, you know, are being handled at this time just at this port of entry alone. Robert Vivar is swarmed as he tries to make it through the crowded encampment in Tijuana. He's looking for a specific person, someone whose case that he's worked on. Robert, who was deported himself, has an office with U.S. deported veterans just down the block from the migrant camp. Dozens of desperate people vie for his attention, asking him when they'll get a call from overworked immigration lawyers. You know, it's kind of difficult, you know, to tell people to have patience when, you know, they've, uh, they're, you know, running away because of persecution, you know, it's not safe. Parents in the camp tell him that their child is sick or that their family is in danger. But Robert already knows they're in danger. It's just impossible for him to help everyone. But... That doesn't stop him from trying. Even here, you know, they've, uh, they've had threats, you know, that they've been followed. And it's just, it's, it's a difficult situation for them. And you can understand why they would be so desperate. Robert's right. The camp isn't all that safe. There have been robberies, threats, and it's the target of organized crime. People looking to extort the asylum seekers. It's not safe for the people who call the camp home, it's not safe for the service providers, and it's often not safe for reporters either. Different groups have pulled out from the camp in recent weeks, citing safety concerns. There are some groups or gangs or whatever, uh, groups who are, operate in this area, who are able to you know, find a way to monetize and, and make it appear that they are part of our group. Ian Cerullo is an immigration lawyer. He's part of a group of nonprofits known as the Chaparral Alliance. It includes the American Friends Service Committee and Border Angels, and people like Robert, who's volunteering his time. That group is still working in the camp. They're the ones making contact with people in the camp and getting their names to the ACLU. In turn, the ACLU then takes those names and hands them off to the U.S. government. The focus has been to first locate pregnant women, people with pressing medical needs, and those in immediate danger in Mexico their names go right to the top. This all makes the list of who's in danger really arbitrary. That's Rafa and Terriano. 
He's one of a number of people in camp who identify as LGBT. Under normal times, he could have a really strong asylum case in the U.S. if he were allowed to enter the country to make his case. He says he fled Honduras after his house was burned down. He was beaten and his friends were killed. He's also been living in Tijuana for more than a year, waiting to enter the United States. But under the current arrangement, he's not being prioritized. It's very hard because the lawyers who have come, who are lawyers voluntary, they only apply for families, only for families who have children, for people who have cancer or a terminal infection. Here we see a lot of people who are solteros, igual mothers solteras, fathers, eh, and in my case, igual we see many people from the community LGTB. Rafa says it's been hard because the volunteer lawyers coming to the camp, they're looking for those pregnant women, those people with terminal illnesses, those people who desperately need to leave. So even though he's a member of a really at-risk community, he can't find representation. So he's just stuck waiting in the camp. So that's how we end up here. Every morning and afternoon at the port of entry in Tijuana, Customs and Border Protection agents call out names of people who are going to be allowed into the U.S. And some surprising names have started appearing. Jose Andres Fuentes. Because in addition to those vulnerable groups that are now being allowed in, some people with multiple deportations are also being allowed back into the U.S. See, under normal asylum circumstances, one deportation means you have to wait years and years for a chance to re-enter the U.S. But because some of these deportees say they're unsafe in Mexico, they're being allowed back in. So yeah, this change, it's a big one. And because this is happening, with people who've been deported being allowed to cross right now, it means the U.S. government is formally acknowledging, for the first time ever, that deporting people back to Mexico puts them in immediate danger. And while they were, were waiting in Mexico, they became victims of extortion, kidnapping, rapes, horrible circumstances, uh, violent situations. And they were so desperate for, that, for someone to listen to them. Dulce Garcia is the executive director of Border Angels. She spent three weeks working as part of the Chaparral Alliance in the encampment, finding the people who can get to safety now. People like her own brother who was deported to Tijuana last year after his DACA protections lapsed. He was kidnapped in Mexico, and he was beaten and robbed. And now, thanks to the piecemeal changes to the asylum system, Dulce is helping her brother and other people like him who've been deported and then found themselves endangered in Mexico. She's helping them find this path back to safety in the U.S. 
So it, it all happened really quickly. We went from having absolutely no way to cross someone lawfully across the U.S. to having this mechanism that allows them to enter. Even if it is just a few people a day, that brought hope. And that's what the, the people in the encampment needed, hope and information. So yeah, this little loophole, it is helping people who need it. It's finally providing some relief for migrants who've been dealing with months and months of misery. But Dulce says that this new makeshift asylum arrangement isn't the be-all end-all, because it isn't helping enough people. People now saying, the tent next to me is leaving because they're crossing to the U.S. finally, and that brought hope to people in the encampment, which also made people a lot more desperate for them to hear their, their cases first. Dulce says she hopes that this system that's only helping a small percentage of asylum seekers won't last too much longer. People are very desperate to cross because they have endured so much while they've been waiting for the doors to open. We know that everyone in the encampment is at a high risk. Everyone there is vulnerable. So, pressure is growing on the Biden administration to restore more of the asylum system along the border, something that may happen as soon as mid-July. And while some people in the migrant camp in Tijuana might be lucky enough to leave their tents behind, others are all too ready to take their spot. To continue serving as this visual reminder, that pressure along the border continues to build. And sometimes, that pressure bubbles over in the form of protests like this one. In April, asylum seekers shut down traffic lanes at the port of entry for hours, part of a series of protests meant to draw attention to their situation. Sometimes blocking cross-border traffic on a weekly basis. When we come back, we squeeze through the bottleneck that's become the U.S. asylum system and travel with a Honduran family who is finally allowed to cross. <laughs> Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can, all right? Thanks. Okay, so remember that guy with the Biden 2020 flag who I talked about earlier? The one with his young son strapped to his chest? Well, he's one of the lucky few who made it to the U.S. 
Brayden Lainez is sitting next to his partner at Mission Bay Park in San Diego. He tears up thinking about what his family has had to get through to get here. Bueno, yo tenía, yo tenía planes anteriormente de decir ya hasta aquí no más llego, pues ya. Brayden says he had plans to just give up. He had come so far already, just to be stopped at the border for so long. He shows off scars on his face from a machete attack in Honduras, which he says was politically motivated. He says he thought he was going to die in the attack, but that God must have put a guardian angel in his path, one who defended him, because he has no idea how he was able to escape. Braden's partner, Yuri Sarazo, describes just how bad things were in the migrant camp. She says it was all very difficult. The children cried from the cold. They gave them blankets. It was very sad. She says, quote, but we triumphed, and here we are. Thank God. Brayden and Yures got help from the Chaparral Alliance, from the people going through the camp, overwhelmed by the sheer need. So, after crossing the border, people seeking asylum like Brayden and Arazo are given a notice to appear in immigration court in a few months, and then released from custody to one of the most robust and competent operations helping asylum seekers across the country. The San Diego Rapid Response Network came together during the early days of the Trump administration. It's a coalition of immigrant advocacy organizations in San Diego. We are at this critical moment where the NGOs, the community organizations, the faith community, and all these folks that you see representing the organizations can no longer do it alone. That was Norma Chavez-Peterson in 2018. She's the executive director of the ACLU of San Diego and Imperial Counties, and she helped launch the San Diego Rapid Response Network. The group's focus, originally, was helping migrants who were released from detention and dropped off at bus stations, sometimes with no money and no idea how to get to their sponsors or families elsewhere in the U.S. They began running a temporary shelter for those immigrants in 2018. And by 2020, they opened a permanent shelter. At the shelter, people got medical checkups, new clothes, and people helped the migrants arrange for travel to family or sponsors. But COVID-19 changed all that. Instead of asylum seekers staying in the shelter, each family was now being housed in hotel rooms across the city of San Diego. The network has provided services to all asylum seekers who've entered San Diego under all different sorts of circumstances. They've helped people who entered illegally but were allowed to stay in the U.S. by CBP for whatever reason, or people who were sent back to Tijuana under the Remain in Mexico program. And, more recently, the people who've crossed under this new agreement with the ACLU. Altogether, that's over 11,000 people since January. It's been a huge lift for the organization, but a welcome one. It's, we're really excited that, that, we're, that we're seeing arrivals again, and we're seeing the arrivals in the numbers that we are, because we know these are all people that are really in, in desperate need of help, of, of international protection. Uh, the stories that you hear are, are really, really horrifying. Eitan Pellet is a volunteer with Jewish Family Service, which spearheads the San Diego Rapid Response Network. 
A-Town and the network have been busy, putting the migrants up in hotel rooms, screening for COVID, and even escorting families through the airport on their way to relatives or sponsors. A federal mandate order requiring mask wearing has been issued for all airports within the United States. And things aren't letting up anytime soon. Instead, numbers have been increasing in recent weeks. In all of May, 3,600 asylum seekers came through the network. And the pandemic hasn't caused any big problems. Um, when I think what we're doing is just showing that we can both protect public health and afford folks the access or the right to seek asylum. In early June, I met up with Eitan at the airport. He was helping Braden and Yuris find their flights. Unlike most Central American asylum seekers, they don't have family in the United States. So a sponsoring organization in New York has offered to help shelter them. Eitan showed the young family how to navigate the airport. Which is hard if you don't speak the language, or in this case, had never been to an airport before. Braden Lainez, Yuris, and their son walk down the jetway to a plane. They'll face years of uncertainty about their status in the U.S. If they're lucky enough to find a lawyer, their chances of getting asylum will be greatly increased. But for thousands of people like them navigating the system, that's not usually something they're able to find. What they do know, walking down that jetway, is that for the first time in two years, they're not in immediate danger. The Biden administration has said repeatedly that the border is closed. They say don't come, and if you do come, you won't be able to enter. But that's clearly not the case. Not for Braden and his family, and not for thousands of others who have crossed in recent months, coming for a better life. Those conflicting messages, that lack of clarity, can I make a claim for asylum? Will they let me in? My friend was just allowed in, why can't I go? That feeds the desperation that the camp at El Chaparral is built on. (laughs) Title 42, that pandemic-induced border closure, can't last forever. The Biden administration has hinted that they'll get rid of it sometime this summer. But immigrant advocates, they're not holding their breath. Dulce Garcia, the immigrant advocate I talked to earlier who's helping migrants in the camp, She believes the government should not only end Title 42, but take the steps necessary to get these people to safety. The resources resources are there. They just need to redirect them so that we can get these people processed through. It's just a matter of willing. Should the doors open tomorrow, we could process these people immediately. Right now, this ad hoc system where nonprofits in Tijuana identify people who can cross, It's a system that suits the administration. It allows them to pre-screen migrants and slow the flow along the border. But each day Title 42 stays in place, the situation at El Chaparral grows more dire. Ian Cerullo, the immigration lawyer, tells me that organized crime in the camp is playing an even bigger role. 
right? So many people have heard of uh, individuals selling tents and locations inside the encampment. They are sort of selling a real estate inside the, the encampment saying, you know, I give you a spot here in the encampment because those attorneys are only helping those who are in the camp. So then, you know, here is a, a place for you, you pay this much and uh, then you will have a chance and we will assist you in being able to be served by those uh, attorney volunteers. So, so again, uh, you know, th th those are the examples. So people are so desperate for any kind of help, they're actually paying to live in a dangerous refugee camp. That might seem inexplicable to you or me, but for those still stuck at the border, many who fled violence, lived in crowded shelters, or on tough city streets, all through a global pandemic, they're still here, right now, living in tents and under tarps, just a few hundred feet from the U.S. border, staying in this dangerous camp because they feel like they don't have a choice. Max, get on the bus. This special KPBS Investigates and Port of Entry episode was written, reported, and hosted by me, Max Rivlin-Nadler. Rebecca Chacon and Matt Bowler helped with sound. Kinsey Moreland and Elisa Barba helped produce and edit the show. And Emily Jankowski did the sound design. If you think stories like this one are important and you want to keep hearing them, consider supporting KPBS by becoming a member. Go to kpbs.org and look for the blue Give Now button. Thanks for listening.